Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are After the franchise tag deadline passes, what to expect heading into NFL free agency next week. Plus, buying the hype on expectations in the second half of the NBA season. And, who are the favorites ahead of NCAA Selection Sunday? It's episode 17 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Once again, coming at you on Thursday, March 18, 2021, Let Me Speak, episode 18. Now, for all of you out there, a happy belated St. Patrick's Day. I hope all you laddies and ladettes were very safe out there celebrating your St. Patrick's Day yesterday. But while we're celebrating St. Patrick's Day, the sports world does not take a holiday off. And let me tell you, the NFL definitely did not take that holiday off as free agency has been absolutely nuts so far since opening up and really that's been the biggest topic has been where players have gone where they've stayed where they've signed it's been insane so let's just dive into I want to talk about some of the teams that really I would say so far are the biggest winners and the biggest losers in the early parts of free agency. And obviously things could change. Things could change because it's only week one of free agency. It's it hasn't it's only been a few days even. We haven't even gotten a week into it, but we've seen a ton of action. And just some notes from what I'm seeing in free agency, not a lot of wide receivers getting signed. And I think part of that has to do with the amount of shuffling that's going on in the quarterback situation for a number of teams. So I think receivers really want to know what the quarterback situation is going to be like for whatever team they're going to sign for before they sign. Because we still got some great receivers out there like Kenny Galladay, Juju Smith-Schuster, Will Fuller. They haven't signed yet. And that's just showing the craziness of all the quarterback movement that's going on. I mean, just a few minutes ago, Mitchell Trubisky is going to be the backup for the Bills. So that might draw some more guys like Emmanuel Sanders to go to Buffalo. But those are just some small notes. On to the teams that so far have won. Obviously, number one has to be the Patriots. And we'll get more into their moves into our Let's Get Local segment. But I think with the amount of money that they have, I'd say so far they've got like a B plus in their grades. But so far I would say they're the best team who have made the best moves in free agency. Now to do a real deep dive, I think the second best team who have done it are the Super Bowl champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think they've done a great job at really keeping their Super Bowl core together. You had a lot of veterans who came in, were established, but... It's really been the key components. Like, obviously, you start with Tom Brady and restructuring his contract. I mean, that helps lower the salary cap 
for the next two years because he is signed through 2022. After that year, that's when he becomes a free agent. And I think him restructuring that really helps out with the salary cap. He's going to get paid a lot this year, but also he's helping out for next year. And in terms of the players that Tampa has re-signed, I think Gronkowski, Levante David, Shaq Barrett, Chris Godwin, all of them being retained is absolutely huge for this Tampa team. Because defensively, they really came out in that second half after their bye week. And Levante David Shaq Barrett helped it out with that linebacking core. Him, JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul, if they can re-sign Ndamukong Sue or Vita Vey, or maybe even get an upgrade possibly in the draft or any upcoming free agents would be absolutely huge. But defensively, I think getting David and Barrett back automatically thrusts them to the top of the NFC North. I think they were already the favorites after Drew Brees' retirement, but I think this just solidifies it right there. Obviously, the biggest loss would be losing Leonard Fournette because you had that two-headed monster at running back with him and Ronald Jones. But, I mean, if you could get a guy like James White, who we're hearing as a possible cheaper option for the Bucks a well-established player in James White, that would be just as good an upgrade because what Leonard Fournette was doing, James White has been doing with Tom Brady in all the years he's been in New England. And that would be a much cheaper option than retaining Leonard Fournette. So that would be absolutely huge for Tampa Bay if they can pick up James White, if we're hearing the rumors. Or maybe they can hold on to him. But I mean... You got Aaron Stinney who re-signed it on the O-line. Ryan Suckup, keep an eye on that. Every good team needs a kicker. Ryan Suckup is absolutely huge for that. And then obviously the third linebacker, Kevin Minter. I would say out of those moves right there, the second best team to have made upgrades and the second biggest winner so far in free agency has been the champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, in terms of their the team that they beat, the Kansas City Chiefs, I would say they made two really good upgrades on the offensive line. I mean, obviously, you get the best offensive lineman out there on the market in Joe Tooney. So you have to spend a little bit. I think it's worth it for the struggles that Kansas City went through in that Super Bowl. It really showed how much the offensive line struggled. And then not only that, but getting Kyle Long out of retirement to play that guard. I mean, you're replacing Eric Fisher, who tore his Achilles, and Mitchell Schwartz, who had his season cut short due to back surgery. You replace them with two healthy guys, with Joe Tooney, who's already established himself in New England, and Kyle Long, who's fully healthy coming out of retirement. I think those are two great upgrades right there. I still think the Chiefs need to get maybe a defensive weapon, possibly a linebacker or someone in that secondary, but I think the Chiefs are another winner in this free agency because they've already fixed the biggest gap that they have in their team, and that is their protection for Patrick Mahomes on that offensive line. And then a third team who I think is a winner might be a little sneaky one. I would say the Jacksonville Jaguars have made some really good moves. And obviously, it's part of a new culture that Urban Meyer is bringing down in Jacksonville, Florida. I think you have to think about also they're going to get Trevor Lawrence, number one in the draft. So they just want to gear up and have all the pieces around Lawrence. So maybe it's not a winning team now, 
but you at least want to establish a good culture. Because really, you take away that one year where Blake Bortles took them to the AFC Championship game, and this team has just been on a downswing for the past maybe eight or nine years. I mean, really, I would say since the David Garrard and the Byron Leftwich days is when Jacksonville was good. But then you get Trevor Lawrence here, and you give him so many weapons. Like, you give him Cam Robinson, who you put the franchise tag on. You're already getting him some great protection on that end. And because you signed Carlos Hyde, who, credit, isn't as great as he was when he came out of Ohio State, but you put him with James Robinson, who's already established himself as that featured back for Jacksonville, that's huge. And then a couple weapons like Marvin Jones, an established veteran. I mean, that is, I think it's a great move for Jacksonville to get guys like that. And then you trade for Malcolm Brown. You sign Shaquille Griffin on the defensive end. I mean, probably one of the top defensive backs on the market. You get him away from Seattle. That is huge for Jacksonville. And then you get Philip Dorsett, Tyler Shatley, Tyson Ulawalu, Jihad Ward. I mean, I like what Jacksonville is doing. Now, does it translate to wins in 2021? No. But I think it really sets them up for a good future, especially if you've got Trevor Lawrence and you believe the hype that everyone is surrounding about the potential number one pick out of Clemson with Urban Meyer leading the charge and you have all the mix of youth and veteran presence for guys who are maybe looking for a fresh start I think this is good I think maybe in two years maybe two or three years if Lawrence is the kind of quarterback that everyone thinks he can be this team can get itself back into contention maybe not Super Bowl contenders but I think definitely contention depending on what happens with the wild card situation if we continue to see seven teams from each conference as opposed to six. I think Jacksonville in maybe two or three years with an established Trevor Lawrence and all these kind of pieces which they'll continue to build with in free agency and don't forget the youth that they're going to get in the draft. I think Jacksonville can get themselves back into contention in a couple of years thanks in large part to the signings that they've made like Shaquille Griffin, Marvin Jones, Malcolm Brown, Carlos Hyde. I think that's going to help really set a precedent in Jacksonville, Florida for the Urban Meyer era. Now, in terms so far of the biggest losers right now in free agency, I think the first one that comes to the top of my head without even thinking about it is Seattle. I mean, Seattle has made no moves, and we already know that Russell Wilson might not be too happy in Seattle. So what do you do? You lose your best defender in the free agency market in Shaquille Griffin, who we just talked about. And you replace him with Akello Witherspoon for a one-year, $4 million deal. That's your top defensive back right there. They have got no pieces surrounding Seattle right now. And it all could change because if they can re- if they can sign Leonard Fournette away from Tampa, away from a couple teams because we're hearing a lot of reports like that, I think getting him would definitely help Russell Wilson out. But they need to be targeting defensive guys. They need to get youth. And I think they're going to do that in the draft. I think they'll get that going in the draft. But Seattle right now, with the kind of moves that they're making, which are virtually none, 
I'm not sure that's going to curry favor with Russell Wilson right now. I really don't think so. Because more time will go along and Russell Wilson will just say, where is my help? Where is my help? Where is my help? Because this was, like I've said for the past couple of weeks, Seattle was horrible in defense, last in the league. And they are making no upgrades right now. No upgrades. They're just sticking with the squad that they got right now. Not sure that's a good idea if you're Pete Carroll up there if you want to keep your franchise quarterback in Russell Wilson. So off the top of my head, Seattle, the biggest loser right now in free agency. And number two, I would say for free agency losers, the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, what is Philly waiting for? The only move that they've made so far is getting rid of Carson Wentz. That's all they did. They basically lost everything and gained nothing. Remember who else they cut? They cut Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, just to name a few. They're going to trade Zach Ertz. I mean, they are really selling out for the draft and looking for the potential that they have in that draft class. Not sure if that's the road you want to go with. I mean, Jalen Hurts, he's looking around, and he's basically got no weapons right now. No weapons. And if you're going to put your future into this guy in Jalen Hurts, not sure if that's the road you want to go down. Because, I mean, what other weapons do you have? Corey Clement, Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders. Okay, that's your running back. But, I mean, come on. All of these weapons that they're just going to go into the draft for? We've seen in the past selling out for just a bunch of draft picks might not be the best idea. But, I mean, if this is the road the Eagles want to go for under new leadership and a new head coach, I mean, have at it. But right now, the Eagles just sitting around and waiting as other free agents sign elsewhere is not the best move for the Eagles. So that would be my number two loser right there. The Eagles, because they have lost everything and have gained nothing. And it could all change if they draft well, if they have a good draft in April. But for right now, they're just watching teams sign away while they're just sitting in a lounge chair sipping pina coladas. Doing absolutely nothing. Nothing. And then another team who I think is a big loser, I would say, is the Baltimore Ravens. That would be the big thing for me, for the Ravens. Because it's not necessarily what they've gained. Kind of similar to the Eagles. It's not what they've gained, it's what they've lost. And they lost a ton of pieces. And I know my buddy Pat Mahoney from his Right Off The Bus podcast is not going to enjoy hearing this but I mean come on you lose Matthew Judon you 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 lose not Yannick Ningaku you lose Mark Ingram they're all gone okay those were three very important pieces I think the biggest one obviously losing Judon is ginormous because yeah you get Pernell McPhee and Derek Wolf and Tyus Bowser back but who else is there I mean I think the problem for the Ravens is that Lamar Jackson needs some better receivers. But, I mean, Judon was your best defender for the past year or two, I would say. For the past year or two. And to see all of them go away while you're just keeping your old squad, I mean, you got to look for an upgrade. You really should be looking for an upgrade. So, again, sorry, Pat Mahoney. Everyone should go still listen to right off the bus. 
I mean, they just had a tremendous interview with former Ravens fullback Pat Ricard. But, I mean, the Ravens, Pat, your team is going to have to make some upgrades rather than just seeing all your guys go. I mean, really, the only guys they've gotten so far is Josh Oliver, the tight end from the Jacksonville trade, and then an offensive guard, Kevin Ziedler, who agreed to a three-year deal. I mean, I don't know if that's the kind of upgrades the Ravens are looking for. But, I mean, we're talking about all these teams before the NFL draft has even happened. But if we're seeing this kind of movement days into free agency, imagine what each team is going to look like before the start of the 2021 NFL season. Obviously, when we're talking the middle of March and around this time on St. Patrick's Day, you can't go through a sports day without talking about March Madness because it is on this day today that March Madness for the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament does get underway with a couple of play-in games. We got Norfolk State and Appalachian State, Wichita State and Drake, Mount St. Mary's and Texas Southern, and Michigan State and UCLA with some playing games and then the madness gets underway with the tournament of 64. Now I talked last week about our early contenders as we're we were seeing conference tournaments get into a preview and I really got to see a couple of teams over the weekend in their conference tournaments like in the Big Ten and the SEC and I got to see a lot of teams play and I wanted to throw out some some other contenders that I maybe didn't throw out there. I had Gonzaga and Baylor, teams like Oklahoma State. I threw their name out there. But after watching this past weekend, there were a couple teams I wanted to throw out there as a couple contenders now that the brackets are officially out. And I wanted to keep my close eye on number one seeded Illinois because they looked really good in their conference tournament when they were playing. And really, it was Io Desanmu and Kofi Cockburn that really gave me a lot of confidence, what, what I saw in, in their tournament play. And especially the Midwest bracket that they're in, I think they can really make a good run. Because when you look at it, they're, they're playing Drexel to start out as a 16. Then they get Loyola, Loyola Chicago, or Georgia Tech after that. And then they would get the winner, they would get either Tennessee, Oregon State, Oklahoma State, and Liberty. And that's where the test would really kick off for the Illini. And I think that would be their toughest test. But I see, you know, I did talk about Oklahoma State, they can make a run. But also Illinois, if they could get past Oklahoma State in that game, if the Cowboys can get that far then I think they can maybe make a run all the way to possibly the Final Four because the second half of that bracket, I think they can beat Houston. I think they can beat West Virginia. I think they can even beat teams like Syracuse who can make a a Cinderella run. That would be the biggest thing for me is Illinois. They could be sneaky favorites. And another sneaky favorite that I didn't talk about last week, I'm looking at right now, 
I saw Iowa play a little bit. They could make a deep run. I'm not going to get full confidence in that, but obviously it's going to be with the help of Luke Garza. I think the the four-year senior, he's getting his number retired by Iowa, and for good reason. He's a big guy who can dominate down low, and he can shoot from the outside. So he's going to carry this Hawkeye team to make any kind of run. Obviously, it's not going to get easy because they'd have to play either Oregon or VCU, and if they can survive that, they'd have to get to Kansas. I don't. I think Kansas, you know, they might not be a great team, but I think they can really give them a test. But just watch out for Iowa. I think Iowa is a top team, one of those one or two or three seeds that could really make a deep run and a team I would put total confidence in, all because of Luke Garza. Because the way he plays, he's just... He's a born leader, and he's a shot maker. He's just the number one option for that Iowa team. And if they're going to make a run, it's going to be because of Luke Garza wearing number 55 in that black and gold. And then the last top team that I really want to watch out for is Alabama. I want to watch out for Alabama in that eastern part of the bracket because they played really well in the SEC tournament, how far they got and the kind of games that they were playing. I really like what they're doing. I like what they're doing. And I think I would say the East right now has to be the toughest bracket right there between the East and the West. I would say those two are the hardest with the East being the hardest. Cause I mean, look at seeds one through five, it's Michigan, Alabama, Texas, Florida state, and then Colorado at the five. I mean, that's absolutely a tough field for anyone. And not only that, but look at all of the the deeper teams. I mean, LSU at number eight, St. Bonaventure at number nine, Georgetown at 12. I mean, Abilene Christian, who made an upset a couple years ago. They're playing Texas. Connecticut's at seven. Maryland's at 10. That's a very tough part. But I think Alabama... Or Michigan could come out of that. I think everyone's talking a lot about Michigan, but I think not enough people are talking about Alabama. They could easily get themselves into the Final Four. And me personally, I could even see them going all the way to the national championship. I think they could upset Michigan when they get to the Elite Eight. And then they can take out whoever comes out of the West, whether that be Gonzaga, Virginia, Iowa, from that western part of the bracket. I think they can take them out too and they can get as far as the national championship I think really that would be the big the big thing for me is watch out for Alabama out of that eastern part now in the tease I did say who's going to be the Cinderella teams and there were a couple that I was really watching out for I would say that play-in game between Michigan State and UCLA be careful of that one One of those teams could really make a deep run. Credit those teams aren't as good as they were in the past, but they have championship experience. They have championship experience. And Tom Izzo, he knows how to bring his teams all the way to the Final Four and the Elite Eight and even the National Championship. I think they have the experience. Same thing with UCLA. They have a history of having great teams out there. Be careful of them. Because they have experience at their leader leadership. 
their leadership has championship experience, so don't be surprised if they go on a deep run. Now, another Cinderella team, obviously this has to be the fan favorite, and I mentioned them earlier, Loyola Chicago at number 8 in that Midwest division. Really, it's just because of Sister Jean. The 101-year-old number one fan of that team who went all the way to, I believe it was the Final Four a couple of years back. I mean, that that just puts a smile on your face and a good feeling in your heart to see Sister Jean brute that team on. I think that would be the sentimental favorite. I don't know if they're going to go as far because if they can get past Georgia Tech, then they'd have to play Illinois. I think that'd be the sentimental favorite. I wouldn't see it as totally crazy if they could upset Illinois, but I think it's not more likely than not that they would upset Illinois. Because like I said, Illinois is just a good team. But as a Cinderella, that's your fan favorite right there. If you add every everyone who fills out a college bracket, if they remember from years past, who would be your Cinderella fan favorite? They would say Loyola Chicago. I would say that would be the sentimental fan favorite. And then just a couple of other teams. I would say UCSB ranked at number 12. I think they can pull the upset over number 5, Creighton. I think the problem with Creighton is just that they're in a different conference. And obviously we're talking on the big stage right now. But you always got to look at those 11, 12s, 13s who could pull the upset. I don't think Wichita State or Drake can do that over USC. I don't think North Texas can do it over Purdue. I think from all of the 12 seeds, I would say UCSB and even I'll throw out Oregon State. Maybe they could pull the upset over Tennessee. And I'll even get one more out there, Georgetown. I would say Georgetown might have their opportunity over Colorado. But I would say out of all the 12 seeds that there are, UCSB, the University of California, Santa Barbara, can get themselves over Creighton. And then some deeper teams. I would say look out for Syracuse, who I mentioned at number 11. I think they might be able to pull the upset over San Diego State. Again, Jim Beheim at the experience. Obviously, he does have COVID, but, you know, there are always those stories like that. So watch out for Syracuse. I would also say North Carolina at number eight. I mean, you got the veteran presence of Roy Williams at head coach. North Carolina always knows how to pull a deep run. And I would totally not be surprised if they upset Baylor after the round of 64. Once they get to the round of 32, the second round, I think they could totally upset Baylor. And I know I talked a lot about Baylor last week being a favorite last week, but with the draw that they got, it would not surprise me at all if the Tar Heels knocked off the Bears. And then for a deeper team, I think Moorhead State at number 14, I think that's going to be the biggest upset if it happens, if they knock off West Virginia. I think they probably have the best chance out of any team who's seated 13 or lower to pull off the upset. I don't see any other teams like maybe Eastern Washington over Kansas. I don't see it. I don't see Ohio beating Virginia. I don't see Winthrop over Villanova or North Texas, like I said. I think the best chance 
for an upset for a team that might be seated 13th or lower would be Moorhead State. I think they have the possibility to knock off West Virginia sitting at the number three. But of course, this is all going to lead into who you're going to pick as your national championship. Everyone's filling out their bracket. And I got to tell you, I went back and forth so much. I looked at all the teams that were in it. I initially thought Kansas. Then I switched to Gonzaga. I switched, I switched, I switched. But I made my decision. And who I think is going to win the national championship is going to be Illinois. I think Illinois is going to be the favorite. I think they've got the size. I think they've got the shooting. And compared to other teams out there, I think Gonzaga, they have a history of not being able to win it all. I think Kansas doesn't have a as good a team as they have in the past. I think Virginia, they've been hurt with COVID and all that. I think Illinois is in the right frame of mind to pull this out. I think overall, if you told me to fill out my bracket today, I would say put me down as Illinois beating Alabama in the national championship. And yes, it's an audacious pick, but there's a reason why no one has won Warren Buffett's perfect bracket. Because it never happens. But congratulations, the Illinois Fighting Illini are Let Me Speak's national championship pick. But there's a reason why they call it March Madness, and it all kicks off today when the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament gets underway. Up next is something we haven't really touched on in a couple of weeks, at least on a deep you know, in our first three topic segment, and that's the NHL. I mean, I've talked a lot about the Bruins in our Let's Get Local segment, but we haven't really dove into the deep part of the NHL, and really you got to start have to because it is the halfway mark in the NHL, and the standings are really starting to shape up. We've got the trade deadline coming up in a little over a month right now, so I think there are a lot of teams who are going to be buyers and sellers, and just for, for those who don't know what the playoff format is going to be like, it's going to be the top four teams in each division. So the top four in the Central Division, the Eastern Division, the North, and the West. And again, the North Division, the Canadian Division. But I really just want to look at the teams right now in each division who are really setting themselves up really well. And I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago before the NHL season started that the Tampa Bay Lightning sounded like the favorites, and I still think that they look like the favorites. They're sitting on top, actually tied, but have the tiebreaker over the Florida Panthers with 42 points. I mean, they just look really well, and it's just that team and that nucleus that they've keep they've kept together. I mean, they're first in the NHL in scoring, and obviously they have a bunch of great pieces. Steven Stamkos, Palat, Point, Vasilevsky, and Net, just to name a few. It's like the Lightning have not lost a step at all in their quest to repeat. And I think in that central division, from where the teams are right now, they're really close right now with the Lightning, the Panthers, and the Hurricanes. But I think they're going to find their way and be able to separate themselves from that pack. Because, because, I mean, how about the Florida Panthers? Did anyone expect this coming? Me, personally, I did not. To see them... As of right now, winners of four straight 
and get themselves tied with the Lightning at 42 points. And really, you can all thank Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau. I mean, they're both, they're tied with each other in the NHL in points at 34. The reason I'm not as hopeful on them is just defensively, they've got to get a little bit better. They're second in the league in the NHL in scoring, but they're 13th right now in goals allowed. I think that just has to get cleaned up a little bit, and I think they can do it. I think the Panthers, they have some pieces. They have a bunch of pieces along with Barkov and Huberdeau that can really help out. Because, I mean, look look who else they got. They got Noel Achari. They have Henrik Borgstrom. They have a ton of pieces. I mean, Ryan Lomborg, Patrick Hornquist, just to name a few. And then, of course, in net, you've got Sergei Bobrovsky. I mean, you can't go wrong with him in net, the 32-year-old from the USSR. I mean, this Panthers team, again, defensively, they're going to have to clean up a few things to really take that leap over the Tampa Bay Lightning. But that's what I see right now in the Central. The Lightning and the Panthers are my two favorites out of there. Now, in the Eastern Division... Again, another tight race. You have the Capitals and the Islanders both at 42 points, then the Penguins at 37, and the Bruins at 34. I think for right now, I like the Islanders over the Capitals right now because I think they can get it done in both ends. I mean, they have a really good defense, and they've got a great goaltender in Semyon Varlamov. I mean, he's fifth in the league in goals against average. And the way they get it done on both ends, just watching them play when I've got to see them a few times, they totally know how to take control and take the pace. They know how to control the pace. And that's the biggest thing for the Islanders is not only the amount of talent and versatility that they have, but the fact that they can get it done on both ends is absolutely huge for this team. I mean, the one the one thing that I would say for the Islanders, though, is that they are losing Anders Lee. They're losing him for the season with the injury. And he's really a key component for that team because there was one thing that they really needed to do, and that was improve the power play. But the fact that Lee had a torn right ACL during the Devils game about a week ago is huge it's huge for this Islanders team so I still think that with the pieces they have they can still make a run because obviously Lee is going to be their number one is going to be their number one option but I think they have the pieces around them to really sure things up and really another reason I would put the Islanders over the caps is because the Capitals just they're still struggling with their goaltending and that was really the big problem because it was going to be Henrik Lundqvist, but if you don't remember from a couple episodes back, he's having heart surgery, so he's missing the entire year. And their replacement, the Capitals right now, is Vitek Vas- Vanasek. Vitek Vanasek, and the numbers aren't really that good. He's 23rd in the league in goals against average and 29th in save percentage. You know, Expect the Capitals to really be active during the trade deadline in the trade market because that's really the only upgrade that the Capitals need is just just to get a solidified 
goaltender because their their plans took a hard right turn and expect for them to try and make an upgrade in net heading into the trade deadline. Now in that Northern Division, again, another three-team tight race. You got the Leafs at 40, the Jets at 38, and the Oilers at 38. And I would say that the Edmonton Oilers, to me right now, they're coming in hot. They're looking like the top team right now in that division, or at least in the top two. Because, I mean, you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. They're first and second, respectively, in the NHL in points. I mean, how often has that happened when the top two players in points are on the same team? And not only that, but they're like head and shoulders above everyone else. I mean, I think Dreisaitl, I want to say he's about five points ahead of the guy who's in third place. But then overall, as a team, they look really good. They're fourth in scoring. Uh, similar to the Islanders, defensively, they got to get a little better. They're 16th in goals allowed per game. I think that's just the one thing they've got to clean up. But in terms of those three teams, I think the Oilers have the best chance to really come out on top in that division. And even when they get to the postseason, if they don't make that first place run, I think they can go a long way in that postseason run. But my favorite division to watch right now is the Western Division right now. I think the top three teams in that division are the top three favorites right now. And obviously we're talking about the Vegas Golden Knights, the Minnesota Wild, and the Colorado Avalanche. They're both playing phenomenal right now. I mean, they're second and tied for fifth defensively, goals against average, with Vegas being second and then Minnesota and Colorado being tied. And they all have one thing in common. They have tremendous goaltenders in net right now. I mean, Philip Grubauer for Colorado, Marc-Andre Fleury for Vegas, and Capo Kakonen for Minnesota. First, second, and fourth in goals against average. First, second, and fourth. I mean, this is probably the most fun division to watch. And that's what I was saying, is that you've got a division that just is stacked with talent. I mean, look at the St. Louis Blues, who are in fourth place. The Los Angeles Kings, who are in fifth. I mean, those are two well-accredited teams. And they're in fourth and fifth on basically hanging on a fringe of that playoff window. And to see what the Knights and the Wild and the Avalanche have done, I mean, the Knights have won four straight, the Wild have won five straight, and the Avalanche have won four straight. Okay? They're just taking advantage of the Blues who have lost five straight right now so that is such a tight division there's so much shuffling in there those are the four teams I think one of them at least one of them is going to come out and make their way into the Stanley Cup I think one of those four teams the Knights the Wild the Avalanche the Blues they're going to find themselves in the Stanley Cup final I think one of those four is going to get themselves contending for that cup but we're only talking at the halfway mark there is still plenty of action left to be played during the rest of the NHL season.
Now, as always, it's time to go local with our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And obviously, everyone's talking about the Patriots, what they've done in free agency. But before we get into that, I want to share just a really small story that came out earlier this week involving the Boston Red Sox. More importantly, with the Boston Fenway Sports Group. The fact that they have a new owner by the name of LeBron James. I mean, I scratched my head so much at that decision because honestly like if you're if you were raised in Massachusetts and you grew up here you were grown to dislike LeBron James because he has given you so many heartbreaks and really from the early Cleveland days that Boston team with the big three of KG Pierce and Allen basically knocked him out of Cleveland and into Miami and we were the one team the Celtics that being in those mid-2000s late 2000s that could really beat him on a nightly basis. So I guess we have to start rooting for LeBron James because he's a part owner of the Red Sox. So a win for the Red Sox is a win for LeBron. It just doesn't feel right. But that's beside the point. Let's talk about what the Patriots have done in the free agency. Like I said in our first topic, they have been the big winners so far. And I really do think that they are considering the moves that they have made. Obviously, the big one started with re-signing Cam Newton. And I think that's that's a big one, I would say, because it, it kind of feels like sort of a plan A or a plan 1A, 1B, stuff like that. Because really, when you when you think about it with, with Cam Newton, is that you have to remember the situation that he was put in. Late signing, no free agency, dealing with COVID... You know, he had COVID himself, so maybe maybe Bill Belichick's just kind of thinking about, you know, what is Cam going to be like when he's got a full offseason? Because it was a very short offseason for him, and obviously he's dealt with injuries. Like I said, he dealt with COVID, so Bill Belichick, he might not be ready to see a rookie like Mac Jones or Trey Lance start for them. You know, they might want to go with the veteran, the guy that they know who's been in the system for about a year, and that's Cam Newton. And we've seen a history of Bill Belichick drafting young guys and not giving them the keys right away. Obviously, it's because Tom Brady has been the star. But you look at guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, like Matt Castle, like Jacoby Brissett, just uh, Brian Hoyer in when he was first coming into the league. He didn't give them the keys right away. He let them earn their way into getting starts. And obviously, it paid off for them. Jimmy Garoppolo successful in San Fran. Brissett just signed a new deal with Miami. And Matt Castle, he got the contract right after. But I think Bill's just not ready to see a rookie lead the charge just yet. I think he's going he's gonna to go with Cam Newton. He's going to see what it looks like in training camp. And they'll go from there because there's still the draft. There's still a draft to get Mac Jones from Alabama or Trey Lance. There, there's still those kind of options. But in terms of the overall free agency picture, I had sent out on Instagram a little questionnaire to see what they, what people thought about what the Patriots have done in free agency. And the first response I got was from our very first guest, Ben May. Shout out to Ben. He said that for people who are criticizing Bill for not spending money and not going to get guys have just been proved wrong. And to respond to that, I think 
it still kind of feels like sort of the old Bill Belichick. I think aside from the part is that he's just getting more guys, I think, because we're still seeing guys like Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne and Dietrich Wise Jr., Henry Anderson, just just get these sort of small deals. I think the big difference is that Bill is spending the money to get the big guys. That's the big thing with getting Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry and Matt Judon and Jalen Mills, just to name a few guys. That's the big thing. And another response I got was from our second guest ever, Johnny Mansarita. Shout out Johnny Man. He said he loves it. And honestly, I I do I don't love it. I like it, getting close to loving it, because, you know, it still feels like there's more moves to be made with the amount of money that the Patriots have in in room for salary cap. I mean, look at what they've done. I mean, it still feels like more to come because there's still some wide receiver options because when you look at what the wide receiving core looks like or the the pass-catching core looks like, you have Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, Devin Asiasi. Just to name a few. I don't know if there's really a game-changing wide receiver out there. I mean, there's still... I don't know exactly what the money situation is for the Patriots, but there's still a Kenny Galladay, a Juju Smith-Schuster, maybe even a Larry Fitzgerald, possibly. Because remember, the Cardinals did sign A.J. Green. The question would be, would Larry Fitzgerald get re-signed if he were to say, I'm not ready to retire just yet? That's still a question out there. But I also like what the linebacking core looks like right now. I mean, you're going to get Dante Hightower back. You put him alongside Matthew Judon and a returning Kyle Van Noy. That's a good-looking linebacking core right there. And I think Judon is going to be absolutely huge, especially. I could even see him getting up there with Defensive Player of the Year if he has a great year. Because remember, he's the two-time Pro Bowler. Great years with Baltimore. Again, to Pat Mahoney, sorry we had to take him. We needed a linebacker. (laughs) Um, But I did also mention questions. I think a more recent question came up really earlier today when Patrick Chung announced his retirement. I mean, that brings a lot of questions into that safety position because obviously you have Devin McCourty at your free safety, but who is going to be that strong safety? I think your two options obviously are Jalen Mills, who you re-signed, You could either put him at safety or if you want him as a defensive back, possibly teaming alongside Gilmore or J.C. Jackson, Jonathan Jones. Or you have Kyle Duggar, who I would say probably had a steady year at safety for the Patriots. Obviously, the the Pats tendered him, so they have a lot of trust in him. But I think those are your two options at safety for the Patriots after Patrick Chung retired, which, by the way, Salute to Patrick Chung. One of those guys where he's not that all pro or a pro bowler or anything like that. But he was just an incredible locker room guy. He's a leader out there and he's going to be missed in that Patriots locker room. But overall with the moves that the Patriots have made, I would say so far I give it an A-. minus, A good A- minus because they finally solved their tight end problem that's been nagging them. Since the Rob Gronkowski days, and that's getting a pass-catching tight end. Not only that, getting two of them, getting the top two tight ends on the market. Bill Belichick loves the two tight end play, and that's exactly what he's going to incorporate 
with these two tight ends, and then just shoring up defensively and getting some weapons for whoever's going to play at quarterback is absolutely huge. But again, it still feels like there's more moves to come. Like I said, we're not even a week into free agency, but the Patriots, what they've been doing, looks good so far. Now, speaking of a guy that's looked good, how about last night in net, Dan Vladar, in his NHL debut for the Bruins, absolutely shining, 34 saves on 35 shots and getting the win for the Bruins 2-1 over the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, there's two things I want to talk about with this one. The first is, what is the future going to look like at this goaltender position? Because if he plays this good, obviously he didn't play because Tuka is dealing with an injury right now. But you got to remember, at the end of this year, Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak are free agents. Are they willing to take the gamble on this kid, Dan Vladar, and have him be your goaltender of the future? I think it's really tough to say, because I think... You might have to keep Rask for a few more years. I mean, no one can compare to Tuka Rask when he's on it. I think you have to keep him, if you're the Boston Bruins, come this offseason. You have to keep him alive and on your team. But I think if you can groom a backup, because, I mean, let's face it, Halak, he, he's not a spry 25-year-old goalkeeper. He's not, okay? He's in his 40s. And if you want a 40-year-old backing up, a one I want to say at 37 or a 36 year old that's not probably the best option so I think for this offseason you re-sign Tuka Rask you bring up Dan Vladar and just see what he does in the backup role if he plays as good if not better than Tuka then you can feel a little bit more confident about your future but I think Tuka Rask is just a -a one-of-a-kind goaltender that you got to keep on your team until until he's ready to hang up his skates, until he's ready to retire. Uh, but then the second part about this is, will the Bruins be able to bounce back? I mean, they're sitting in fourth place right now. They're only three points ahead of the Flyers, and obviously it's just a bunch of missing pieces. Obviously, Char- Charlie Coyle and Jake DeBrus have been out with the COVID-19 protocols and all that. But... Just this offense has to find its spark. It's got to find its spark. You know, it, it's got that perfection line, and I would not be surprised to see them maybe go after a Jack Eichel in the trade deadline because the Sabres are going nowhere. Eichel's a superstar. You put him on a combination, the line of Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marshan to go along with, you know, guys like David Krejci. I mean, that would be huge for the Bruins to get themselves in the Stanley Cup contention. But the Bruins are struggling right now, and I don't think they'll have a problem getting to the postseason. It's just a matter of where they rank. Now, another team that should be more concerned about where they rank is the Celtics. I mean, what a week they've had. Dropping to the Jazz and then dropping to Cleveland. I mean, the Celtics just cannot go a full length without playing with a healthy team. I mean, Tristan Thompson's been out because of protocols. Kemba Walker was out versus Cleveland for rest. I mean, I'm just getting the impression, and as the weeks go by, this team just isn't championship worthy. I I hate to, to rip the bandage off, but they're just not championship worthy. They're too young. They don't have the right pieces surrounding Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. In terms of the bench, I think Thompson, 
Tice, Pritchard, Smart, and Kemba are probably the best options around them. But they need experienced guys. And, you know, you might want to save that uh, trade exception from the Gordon Hayward trade on free agency. Because I think you can spend it on free agency and not give up any of your core. I mean, they've got a ton of youth. But that's the problem right now is that they have youth. They need experience if they want to go to a championship contending team. Because they're not up there with the Nets. They're not up there with the 76ers. They're not up there with the Bucks. They're just not. So, you know, as the weeks go along, my confidence just declines a little bit. I still think they'll make the postseason run, but I'm not totally sold on them being NBA championship contenders. You know, it could be proven wrong if they make some kind of move at the deadline, which I don't think they should with the kind of package that they have. They're just, they're not a championship level team this year. But still, plenty of things could happen. This team could get healthy and they could make a magical run toward an NBA championship. Finally, we wrap up our show with my favorite segment, our LOL moment of the week. And obviously, this one has been talked about in the NBA world for a couple of days. And it's not so much the action as it's more of the action plus the reasoning behind it. So this week's LOL moment of the week will go to... Kyle Kuzma from the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, let me give you the 411 on what's going down with the fourth year man for Los Angeles. Kyle Kuzma, Lakers versus Warriors. Kuzma's at the line to shoot a technical free throw in a game which the Lakers won, by the way. Let's just point that out. The Lakers did win. And Kuzma was at the line shooting the technical free throw, and he was off and I don't mean off way off if you look at this video he is way off left you look at the reactions from everybody LeBron sort of like what the heck was that Montrez Harrell was like oh my gosh and the entire Warriors bench acted like there was an earthquake going on which Kyle Kuzma might have thought that's the reason why he missed that free throw he he said in the post game that he blamed it on a earthquake that hit San Francisco, a 3.5 magnitude earthquake in the San Francisco area. Now there's one problem with that, and that's that the earthquake never even happened. There was no earthquake that altered any kind of free throw. That was just a really, really bad free throw. Okay, this is where you're scratching your head and you're wondering, why would you even make an excuse like that for why you missed that free throw so badly? Why would you even justify that? You could just say, it was a bad shot. That's my bad. But he wants to go so far to say that there was an earthquake that rocked the floor so bad that when I shot the ball, it started straight and drifted off to the left and was way off. Now, that could be an excuse for a free throw. 
It could be an excuse for why he's averaging a career low in points per game and free throw percentage in his four seasons. I mean, the most he averaged was over 18.5 in LeBron James's first year. And now that he's got a ring under his belt in his 39 games played so far, he's only averaging 12 points a game. And he's gone from being about a 74 to 75% free throw shooter to a 63% free throw shooter. I mean, are there earthquakes going on in Los Angeles all the time? Are there earthquakes out in Utah, in Phoenix, in the other side of Los Angeles? Because you're missing free throws against the Clippers and the Jazz and the Suns who are right now jumping ahead of you with the stretch of games that they've been playing so far? I don't think so, Kyle Kuzma. I think that's also why he's sitting on the bench and why we're seeing guys like Taylor Horton Tucker start to get some playing minutes. Why we're seeing Wesley Matthews get into the game. I mean, remember when Kyle Kuzma was the subject of so many trade rumors saying, oh, he's totally going to make the team better. He shouldn't be on this team. Now people are justified because he's not hitting free throws. Or maybe guys are saying, he's so important to this team. He needs to stay on the Lakers. And if he's missing free throws, not sure if he's that important. Now, credit, the Lakers did win this game. It wasn't like they lost by one and Kuzma was the reason that they lost. No, they easily beat the Golden State Warriors. So that's why we can laugh at this. But Kyle Kuzma, you might want to get back to the gym and start practicing some free throws. Obviously, I need to do that because I'm just speaking as someone who... You're talking to someone who could only get on the CYO... CYO team in high school and the North Rome, Massachusetts B travel team for basketball. So I don't think I'm the right one to criticize you for missing a free throw. But I'll just say it like this. Kyle Kuzma, it's a good thing your Lakers team is winning. Because if you had missed that free throw, I got a feeling that LeBron James would be sending you to the 12th spot in that rotation. But you can continue to come off the bench and be this week's LOL moment of the week so that will do it for this edition of let me speak thank you very much for watching and for listening make sure you're dropping those likes those comments and make sure to follow us on twitter instagram and facebook just search let me speak podcast and remember as always if you've got a point you got to get across, just tell the whole world, shut up and let me speak. <laughs>